We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Ryan, let's get to some mailbag questions. We do have a lot of super chats and some good questions that we want to put up. So we really appreciate all of you very, very, very much. We're going to get to the super chats first. Tristan March with a super chat. If I were a grad assistant in defensive meetings and suggested that Morrison and Mickey split snaps with Har- following Harrison Jr. while Bracey follows Smith and Jigba, would I get an assistant coach job asking for a friend? You want to, you want to take a take a shot at that one? Um, it's a funny one. I mean, honestly, uh, Tristan, I look, man, half the, of that uh, I agree with half yeah. of that. I actually agree with. Yeah. Uh, what's, is it the latter? You agree with the latter on that? Yeah. One? I mean, or, I, I yeah. think we will see yeah. that. I think just Smith, Smith and well, Jim I, was I, a I, slot and we're going to see him matched yeah. up against streak Bracey a lot. Well, I, I posted that on Twitter earlier because I, I saw an article that had someone say that Cam Hart versus Smith and Jigba is the big like position battle sure. or something like that from don't an NFL we'll draft perspective. That. And I'm yeah. like, I, I don't think we'll see that one much at all, right? Mm-hmm. Like unless Smith and Jigba is taking a substantial more snaps outside, you're going to see Tariq Bracey a ton, right? Like yeah. that's going to be the guy. And Notre Dame has to be ready to play in the slot, man. They have yeah. to come to play in that regard. And Tristan, like we've talked a lot about Benjamin Morrison and Jaden Mickey. I mean, both extremely talented football players. They need to play. There's no doubt about it. Splitting snaps. I mean, that's a lot to ask of, of two freshmen to come in and, and being a being a platoon at, at, as a starter role in the secondary. And I think that we need to give Clarence Lewis a little bit of an opportunity here, right, to prove himself. And Cam Hart as well is, I think, is going to have some matchups against a guy like a Marvin Harrison Jr. And I think he matches up really well if they do get that type of uh, type of situation. So I, I I do agree with the second half though. Like Brian said, the, the nickel position is going to be very, very important in this football game. We spent a lot of off season. I feel like not talking enough about it. And I'm glad that we have over the last like week and a half. The fact that Tariq Bracey is a very important player in this game with, with the, I mean, I think it was what, 89% of the snaps or something like that last year. And Smith yeah. and Jigba was in the slot. So like, you, it's I think you said it was like number. something like 90 something is I think what you said Man, it was man. something yeah. like that. It was a crazy I, I don't know what the number was. That's just kind of what you had said earlier. If you're going to come to me, Tristan, with a suggestion for somebody to follow Marvin Harrison jr. It needs to be Cam, Cam Hart. Hart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the reason I say that is, is because physically he's a legit matchup for Marvin Harrison and speed wise, he's a matchup for Marvin Harrison. So that would be the one that I would look at. 
and then Tariq Bracey with Smith and Jigbo. I mean, I think that's your best chance because the thing about that matchup is I, 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 if I, I could be wrong on this, but I thought I remember in my notes that I had Marvin Harrison is probably going to be more of a field guy and a Mecca, the boundary guy, or do I have that backwards? I thought Marvin was going to be the boundary. The boundary guy. About okay. that. I thought because I was so. trying to look at the bowl game, and I thought I remembered seeing a Mecca beating guys in the boundary, like the one go route. I thought was in the boundary, but I could be wrong on that. But if I expect the outside guys to move a little bit more side to side than we'll see from Jackson Smith and Jig, but based on at least at least based on last year, I I still anticipate they're going to play Jackson outside a little bit more. Uh, than they did last year. That's just my prediction. We'll we'll see how it goes. I just I don't think they're going to just leave him in the slot this year as much as they did last year. I'm not saying he's going to be a full time outside guy, but if if I were going to do that, I would have Cam Hart do it. I, I just I just would, and then let you know let your let Clarence Lewis match up against Emeka with help. Is how I would handle yeah. it. Right, man. Marvin Harrison Jr. also just keeps getting taller and taller every time I see. What's he six seven now? Around. He's six five. I thought he was six okay. three, but apparently he's up right. to six five now. He keeps okay. growing, man. It's crazy. Great. That's great. Love it. Love. It. He's gonna be six maybe, nine. Maybe he'll power be forward. Maybe he'll, yeah, he'll be six seven before game time tomorrow. Yeah. Can't wait to see him. Yeah. There. There you go. There you go. There you go. Uh, thank you for that super chat, Randy. Thank you for your super chat, buddy. Appreciate you very, very much. Thank you guys for getting us through the off season. Hey, thank you all for helping us get through the off season because we need you as much as you need us, everybody. So. Uh, otherwise Ryan and I are just two creepy guys talking to ourselves uh, every day and our wives would not be as happy about that. But because you all are here when we talk, our, our, uh, uh, we're here and we enjoy it. So we appreciate you. Uh, we appreciate you very much. All of you very, very much. Even the people from other fans that come here and have fun and, and be respectful and all those, you guys make this fun as well. And the ones who don't make it fun, just boot them. and don't have to worry about them anymore. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Tim Opel, one of my former players, Tim says, hey, coach, any chance we see 22 personnel? I'd like to see how Ohio State handles an isolated uh, mayor in Tyrena's slot, preferably in motion, thanks to everyone on the IB team. So 22 personnel is something that I think we could see. 
where you'd have, obviously, let's just say either Diggs or Estime with Tyree. And then you'd have uh, two tight ends and then one receiver, correct? And you could see scenarios where you could. I mean, look, I've said this before, Ryan. I kind of like that because you could put your two tight ends on the outside and you've still got Mm -hmm. your RPO game. And your RPO game in the screen packages gets a little bit more – entertaining when you've got Michael Mayer and a Kevin Bauman blocking corners on the perimeter. Uh, you know, if you're going to leave corners on the outside, there are some matchups that you could find Mayer in. He talked about having, you know, Mayer isolated. I could see something like that, but then you'd have Lorenzo Styles or Braden Lindsay kind of out there as well. I think there's things you can do with motioning Kevin Bauman and Mayer around to create some, some leverage points on kickoff, you know, kickouts or some, some angles where you're kind of motioning, let's say, Ohio State has a tendency to play with kind of tight fives to an open tackle. Open tackle meaning there's no tight end. Maybe you could bring a guy from across, and then that quick motion allows you to get into a little bit better down block position for maybe a pin and pull than if you were lined up and they bump that guy out to a seven eye, right, or seven, right? I think so maybe there are some things you could do there with that alignment to, to, to kind of create some, some leverage in the run game. And then, of course, with Chris Tyree in that alignment, you do have some pass game options. It's not something, Tim, I would say that we would see a ton because I don't think Chris Tyree is a receiver. I think he's a running back. But there'd be some fun stuff I would do out of that, Ryan, where, I mean, think about this. If if I lined up in an alignment where I had uh, Kevin Bauman as the boundary tight end and I, Chris Tyree is the boundary receiver, I had an estimate in the backfield, and I have Mayer and, and Lorenzo Styles to the field. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things. like I would put Lorenzo in the slot, actually and have mayor outside. And there's a lot of stuff I could do with motion out of that look with bringing Chris Tyree in a motion and, and yeah. create some, some interesting, Hey, you want to stay in the box to defend the run? Then we're, we're, we're pulling that thing and doing, we're running jets or we're pulling and throwing bubbles or, you know, we're, we're sending him on a boom motion or not in a boom motion, but a sprint motion across booms out of the backfield, sprint motion across See, I react, pull and throw it to him or have him run. And then you throw a now screen to Lorenzo and he's got a, a, a beeline to that, to that, you know, flat defender or corner. Maybe you can do like a cross block where you have Mayer block the flat defender and then Chris takes off for the corner, depending on how mm-hmm. they play it. There's some interesting stuff you could do where you could get 10 to 12 snaps a game out of that look, Ryan. So I, I, I don't know if there's a chance we see it, but I'd be interesting. I think there's some things you could do with that. I don't think it's something you're going to do week after week after week after week, but sure. pulling it out in some big games to maybe create some some opportunities for some big plays. Yeah, Tim, I love where your head's at, man. Love where your head's well, at. I I just love in general having two backs at spots. Just it doesn't even have to be a 22 personnel. Like I just want to have an estimate and a Chris Tyree yep. in the game at the same situation because I think that you can maximize space with a guy like a Tyree, and you can still yep. have the hammer to go downhill. Yep. Like you could do those types of things. So. Well, and what I love about what Tim is saying is we didn't run, I don't remember, a lot of 22 personnel. So Tim was one of my players at Muhlenberg. He was a, a freshman starter for us in, in, in 02 when we went to the playoff for the first time in school history. I have to always say that. But we had a look where our, our, our starting fullback was a kid named Chris Brown, and our starting tailback was a kid named Matt Bernardo. And we would at times, our, our number two running back was a kid named Mike Markerbrad, and he was really good. Like he would have started on just about every team we played that year, but Matt, Matt was an All-American. And so we would do things where we would put Matt and Mike in the game, like against one team. I still can't believe this worked, but we actually put our, our all American tailback, our tailback. We had him line up as a tight end 
and they didn't see it. And we just ran him on a seam route and had a 70 yard touchdown, you know, but we would do things with Mike as that, you know, the fullback where he wasn't really lead blocking, but we could do things out of the backfield, having him run wheels, having him kind of run delays just right down the middle of the field. And then of course there was run game things that we could do with them in the field, in the game too. So yeah, I I'm a big fan of, of 20 of two back personnel. If you have, diverse backs and i think notre dame does with tyree to go with the other two kids does definitely have some diversity in that skill diversity in that backfield that allows you to do some some unique things out of it where you're not going to do a lot of 22 personnel if your only two backs are digs and estimate you're more sure. limited on what you can do than you can when you have a, a, a tyree or a kyron last year or jadarian price in the future those guys, J- Jaden Lamar is another example. Jeremiah Love would be an example where you get one of those guys with an estimate, with a digs, you can do a lot more interesting stuff out of two-back alignments than you can with just two backs. of the Like Bama's never done a lot of two-back stuff because their running backs are basically just in the past, for the most part, have been just kind of cookie cutters, right? Mm-hmm. Like TJ Yeldon and, and I, you know Eddie Lacy don't bring you a lot of 21 personnel options unless you're just going to ask one of them to lead block. Right. And those are the those are the different things where these kids have a a distinctly different personnel personnel or skill traits that you're bringing to the table. Well, Eddie, Eddie Lacey, during the last couple of years of his Green Bay career, probably could have just been a a, a defensive defensive tackle. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He could have been like 100 percent. There you go. He was one of the first guys I ever remember having a uh, he had a weight that he had to check in with in order to get paid. So he had to be below 250 pounds in order to get a paycheck, which was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Yep. All right. So Tim, great question. I really appreciate that. Always love it when my, uh, when my guys come in with those type of, of questions and comments, Christopher Morgan. Hi, IB nation. Thank you for the super chat, Christopher. Hi, IB nation at the airport right now for my flight to Columbus for the entire weekend and excited to go to the game after months of buildup. I feel like a bomb is going to explode tomorrow. Go Notre Dame. I feel you, man. I, I feel you. I sure hope so. I mean, that, that's the, that's the, always the fear of games like this, Ryan, is you kind of get all this excitement and then, in the past, we'd get all this excitement about it, and then just the game comes, you're like, yeah, you know, just a dud. And I don't want to be, def- I don't yeah. want to be deflated. <laughs> yeah, I want to be deflated. Yeah. I want BKPTSD to become a thing of the past, and I think going toe to toe with Ohio State, win or lose, makes us all, I think, feel like okay, that part of this is closer to being over than than maybe we thought. And then, of course, a win makes you feel like, hey, maybe it is over. So. Yeah, there's, and then there's been a there's been a few times in the Brian Kelly era where I tried to convince myself that it was different, and then yeah. I got very let down very quickly. So, yeah, yeah. And hopefully yeah. that's gone. Yes, Christopher Morgan also said, honestly, I like being an underdog. I feel like the pressure, all the pressures on Ohio State. I see us Notre Dame thirty one, Ohio State twenty six. I can't wait to tweet to Paul Pinebaum when we tweet <laughs> to Paul Pinebaum when we win. Christopher, I also have a bunch of uh, tweets that are saved in case Notre Dame wins. So I'm there with yeah, you, my friend. Just be I'm careful cool. about those. I know. Fellas. Just I be careful. Do. I know. Be gracious in victory and defeat is what my advice will be now. I cannot promise that I will be that way if it happens that way, but that's what I'm saying now. All, my, my only uh, my only advice is whatever I do on Twitter, if Notre Dame wins afterwards, do not do what I do. So yes. use me as an example of what do not, not to do. do as he says, not as he does. I yes. completely understand. Completely 100%. understand. Here we go. Alan Watson with the super chat. Alan says, anything going into the season that really concerns you have a cube, a Cuban ready for the victory March. Notre Dame wins by eight. Go Irish. I mean, Ryan, I think there's a lot of things that concern you because there's a, there are, there are unknowns. I mean, this is true of a lot of teams, right? Like, I mean, look at Alabama is 
is Jermaine Burton and Tyler Harrell really going to be able to replace Jamison Williams and John Mechie? I mean, you think so, but neither of them ever played to that level, right? I mean, th- there's questions at all. I mean, okay, Ohio State, or I mean, they have questions. Georgia has questions. Clemson has questions. Notre Dame has questions. Mm-hmm. That's what makes the offseason fun, but also makes it a little bit nervous when you're predicting the, predicting the first games. You know, like, you know, you play a couple games, you feel like, okay, well, this is what I know about this team, and this is what I know about that team, and here's what I think. But in all the games we predicted, it was all projection. This is what I think Georgia's going to look like without all those guys. This is what I think Arkansas is going to look like without Trey Burks. This is what I think Cincinnati is going to look like without their greatest rec- their draft class in school history. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's all that stuff. And, and so the unknowns always concern me. You know, like, uh, here's a concern. If Jarrett Patterson starts without having practiced much, does that throw off the timing of the offensive line because he hasn't been in there communicating and all those kind of things? That concerns me. Part sure. of me wonders if maybe you're better off going with the dudes that that kind of been going together for the last couple of weeks. Uh, that's something that concerns me. You know, is Tyler Buckner going to be able to consistently make the decisions in front of 105, 110, whatever thousand people is going to be the stadium? I mean, that that's a concern because I just don't know it yet. The unknowns are always the things that concern me, Ryan, going into a season. That was true when I was a, when I was a coach. It's true now as an analyst. It's even more so true as an analyst because I haven't been at every practice like I was as a coach where you kind of had an idea of like, okay, this is our concerning spot, you know, but those are the thing. I mean, are the new starters on defense going to be better than what they had last year, which is what we're projecting. We think Riley Mills is going to be better than Myron. We think Maris is going to be better than Drew White different positions, but from an, an impact of, of who you added and who you lost from the lineup. You know, we think Brandon Joseph is going to be better than what they had at safety in the last six games of the year. We think Clarence Lewis is going to get better. We think DJ Brown is going to be better, but we got to see it. And we got to see it against someone who's not your own team, because it could be like, I've heard a lot about, Hey, the secondary is a lot better this year. And the secondary, I had even one person go as far as the secondary could be a strength of this team. My immediate reaction is, Okay, that's either going to be great news and their name's playing for a championship, or the receiving classes, the receivers have had a really tough spring or tough fall. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And they're just maybe not ready. You know, but then I hear from other people like the receivers are, are having good days and doing good things. And so it's like, you just don't know what to believe at this time of the year. And that's what makes projecting openers. That's my dad was like, I'm going to put money on the line. I was like, please don't bet on this. You have no clue. You have not. Because like a, a thirteen to ten deficit against Wisconsin turns into a forty-one thirteen victory over stuff that there's no way you could have predicted all that was going to happen before the game. Yeah, here's my prediction: Notre Dame is going to return. They're going to go down thirteen ten in the fourth quarter. Chris Tyree is going to return the opening, the next kickoff for a touchdown, and then Notre Dame is going to have two pick sixes in the fourth quarter, and they're going to win forty-one <laughs> thirteen. You guys, I mean, you freaking Homer, like you're such an idiot. Right? Who, who predicts that kind of thing? It would have been outlandish right. to predict that kind of thing. So you never really know how these games are going to go, but we are confident in in the analysis we've provided and we'll see if we're right. Yep. See if we're right. Nate, Tony with super chat. Thank you, Nate, very much. Great to finally catch a show live as we are in route from Arkansas to Columbus. Where is the IB meetup tonight or tomorrow? So this is probably a good time to say this. Uh, Our plans are changing quite a bit. So, um, I would ask that all of you keep Sean Styers in your prayers. Sean obviously is the host of IB Nation Sports Talk. Uh, he and Vince were going to host the IB Countdown to kickoff tomorrow. Uh, Sean had to get rushed to the hospital today. Uh, he is, I believe, still currently at the hospital. He's doing okay now. Uh, he had a heart issue. 
And so he is going to be in the hospital for a couple days, uh, most likely. So he will not be not only not going to the game tomorrow, he will not be hosting IB Countdown to kickoff. So I will actually have to stay in South Bend tonight. Uh, Vince and I will do the show in the morning and then we'll head to Columbus. And so obviously that's going to change our schedule up a little bit in regard to tomorrow and getting there. So we're going to be kind of, by the time we get to Columbus, it's going to be time to check in at the hotel and then hustle over to the stadium. And so we're not going to have time to really meet up with anybody anywhere at that point in time. So uh, we would appreciate you guys keeping Sean in your prayers. Uh, I did talk to Sean about if it's okay to kind of let people know what's going on with him. And, and, you know, he didn't, you know, he, he's, I think he's going to be okay. Uh, doctor said he's going to be okay. His wife is a nurse. So that's obviously a positive, but they want to keep him in the hospital for at least a couple of days to see, you know, just to see how things are going. And so he had a, a blockage issue and um, really scary stuff. So, uh, but uh, he's obviously bummed about not being able to be at the game tomorrow because he and Vince were going to do IB Countdown to kickoff, and then him and Vince were going to drive to Columbus for the game, and I was going to go up uh, tonight. So that's obviously uh, a little bit of a change. So I did want to make you all aware of that. We always do this here as a family. You know, we, we, we talk trash each other, and we battle, and we argue and debate. But at the end of the day, we're a family. And we pray for each other. We care about each other. So I would now we're all we're asking you all for your prayers and your support uh, for Sean Styers that you guys keep him in your prayers and, and give him some support. Show him some love on Twitter. Uh, you know, obviously let him know that you're thinking about him and that, that you all love the work that he does. Obviously, at least for the first couple of days of this week, he will not be doing the IB Nation Sports Talk show. But, um, you know, my thing is just, gonna, hey, man, just get healthy. We'll get you back when we need to get you, when you can get back. But. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have your back, but if y'all could keep Sean in your prayer. So that, that is going to mean Nate, that we are not going to have any kind of meetup tomorrow. We will, however, next Saturday be having an Irish breakdown tailgate. The specifics of where just depends on where we're able to get uh, set up, where we can get uh, parking, but we will have an Irish breakdown tailgate for the Marshall game. And we will have a get together, uh, for before the Cal game as well. So we're going to do a lot of those this year. So uh, really appreciate that support for him. Uh, I've also seen some people in the chat that are Ohio State fans uh, that are also offering kind words and prayers and support, and we appreciate that very, very much. Because at the end of the day, all yeah. this other stuff is sports, right? It's sports. We love it. We're passionate about it. It's our careers, but it's sports. And when you start talking about people's lives, that obviously has a whole lot more bearing. So we appreciate all y'all very, very much for that. Very much for that. Now we're going to try to transition back to sports. <laughs> Michael S says, uh, my, he says uh, with a super chat. Thank you, Michael. Uh, you're an admirer. She's talking to me. You're an admirer of Purdue head coach. So explain what he was thinking. The last five minutes of the game runs the ball a couple of times of times. They win. I'm not going to explain it. Like there's been like, Hey, Brian, I'm sorry. I know you're a supporter. Like, yeah, I'm a supporter of Jeff Brown for what he's done, but it, it, I'm not a blind supporter. It was, it was terrible game management at the end of that game. I'm not one of those people that believes that you just run the ball and make them use their timeouts because then they're still getting the ball with two minutes left and no timeouts. But what's even worse than that, Ryan, is giving them ball with 220 and they still have both of their flipping timeouts. Uh, yeah. And like there was just uh, there just like the the and then the clock management on that final drive. You know, like I thought the the receiver Charlie Jones had a really nice game last night makes mm -hmm. that catch, and he was getting ready to start trying to make moves and then remembered, hey, we don't have a lot of time left, and so he goes down. I thought that was the right move by Charlie Jones. Don't spend eight seconds trying to juke around, go down. But they didn't call a timeout. 
And they let like 20 seconds run off the clock. I just thought the clock management in the last two drives was brutally bad. And, and basically they turned a game that they flat out should have won into a loss because of it. And I get that you got to do what you do and, you know, and so cool. If you don't want to run the ball, then do some kind of bootleg where at least if the quarterback can't find somebody, he -hmm. goes down, you know, slide in bounds or something, you know, where maybe he runs for four or five yards or something, but it just, I don't know what your thoughts were on this, Ryan, but I just thought the way ugly. he handled the last few drives of the fourth quarter were brutal. Brutal. Hey, man, he ruined my pick. Yesterday I, I picked Purdue did. in the live show, and I felt really good about it until this debacle happened, obviously. So it was not great. It was not great. I, I know you can always be a little hyperbolic and critical of it, but, I mean, when you watched it, it was just bad, man. Like, it was just awful. I will say this, though. Charlie – Charlie Jones is a little better receiver than I thought he was. Man. Yeah, imagine that. Was all that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, all right. Because I'm like, he's just a punt returner. He didn't do a whole lot of receiver for Iowa. Now you're like, wow, Iowa's pass game is a little worse than I thought. Because that dude was Spencer, getting open Spencer all Spencer Petrus is awful, and that offense yes. is archaic in Iowa. Yes. That's, that's all yes. the conclusions I came to after watching yes. that, man. You know, but honestly, it, <laughs> yeah. we always focus on the end. But there were other things that happened in that game that cost Purdue that game as well. Mm-hmm. You fall behind 21-10 at halftime because you let them score on that play that they scored on like you lose contain oh, the tight end. and you block right you miss four ends. tackles on the on the, as the tight end runs to the end zone for a 60 yard touchdown. Brent Strange is a good player. But sure. No. He's not a 60 yard touchdown guy. <laughs> After like, breaking four tackles. Yeah. That was yeah. it. there was another touchdown run or touchdown that Penn State had where you're just like did they not do any tackling at all this offseason? It, it was, was bad. That Brent Strange play was awful too, because if I remember correctly, Brian, that was one of their best defensive players that missed that tackle. Yeah. And I was just like, that first one, I think it's number yeah. 10, the safety. Yeah. I'm just like, what the heck yeah. is that awful? That was bad. Oh, man. It, was it was really was bad. bad. So I mean, because like half of it was like, too. wow, awesome for Brenton Strange, but also that was more a product of the defense just being really bad than yes. actually Brenton Strange. I mean, look, Brenton Strange made a great play, but like it should have never happened. No, it was, it was bad, but uh, you know, they came back and they battled and they took the lead and then they got the pick six and it just, it was a, a weird, weird game. And then Jason Rose asked thoughts on Sean Clifford last night to not play great overall, but was money on the last drive. Would you, uh, would you go to Drew Aller? Here's the reason that I would say no. Number one, he was playing on a, bit of a bum knee last night yes he had three or four balls that were just dropped and drew yes. aller had one too uh did you see that corner out he threw like to number, the tight to end number one no, uh, not no. that one at the tight end it like it jumped over there was that one too but yeah. he threw one to the tight end that was just like just dropped they had and jt he, he nobody threw a had beautiful it was like an over route to number yeah. one he was wide open hit him oh right that in one too yeah just, no oh, i'm talking about the one cool. he fit between like two guys at number 44 dropped um, yeah. I know which one you're talking about. I thought Sean Clifford threw that one. I, I think they both threw those. Uh, didn't he throw both of those? No, am I wrong? No, the the corner route is the one the one Drew Aller threw is the one I'm referring to. Oh, I was talking but about the, the overthrow that the you're over talking was about. Clifford. That was a big was play Clifford. from Clifford. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. we're talking about two different things, but the point is the same. And and it was just like I thought Sean played okay. I thought the offensive line does not look like it's improved that much from last year. Again, first game, but it doesn't look like it's improved that much this year for Penn State. But here's the thing about Sean Clifford. I mean, Drew Aller's the better player. Your your potential is greater with Drew Aller, but here's the deal with Sean Clifford. He he doesn't have a great arm. He's a good athlete, but not the athlete he used to be before the injuries. He throws some balls. You're just like, what was that? He takes some sacks, but at the end of the game, Ryan, if you're in the game and Drew Allen's Sean Clifford's your quarterback, you always got a shot to win in the fourth quarter. 
You got to give the kid that. I mean, the kids, and he, he's just a money player. I mean, I don't know what it is. You could argue, well, maybe you needed him to do the fourth quarter comeback because he didn't make enough plays during the game. I would argue that's not true. I think they, that they should have blown Purdue out. They had a chance to blow Purdue out, but they had some bad drops in that first half, but game on the line. There aren't many quarterbacks that have proven themselves more clutch than Sean Clifford. And that's why I say, he ain't he's not that good, Ryan, but they are a completely different team when he's not in the game. They really yeah. are. Yeah, I don't think Aller's ready yet yeah. anyway. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, what was, did you see that one throw, Brian? I think it was just like an in-breaking route. The and third like down. Aller threw it like four feet behind the dude. It wasn't and was close. Like, and he threw it about 475 miles per hour. Yeah. I mean, and I was like, know. and and they played it back, and I'm like, oh, was his was he like flat footed? And I was like, I know his base is there. He yeah, just was, was way behind the guy. I'm like, oh, yeah, and he was always a raw kid. He's got tremendous. Yeah. What you saw last night about Drew Aller is number one, he's got all the tools you want in a great quarterback. He's got a crazy he arm. He is yeah. big. His arm talent is insane. He's mobile. He's not a runner, but he's mobile. But you also saw why he is not ready. He, you yes. know, he's he's he needs work, but man, he's gifted. But yeah. Sean Clifford just wins, dude. And that's part of the reason why I predicted them to have a bounce back here if if he stays healthy. I think they're gonna have a they're gonna have a nice bounce back year, in my opinion. But it's because of the talent. James Franklin is a terrible game day coach, and it was yes. obvious again last night. And it's just, uh, it's just, it's just that in this particular game, he is not the coach who made the worst game day decisions. Yes. That falls down to Jeff Brom, who I have always been a big fan of. And even last night, you're like, dude, this guy can call a game now. I mean, that's the thing you got to come. This dude can call a, pe- a game. It just he, he made some fourth quarter decisions that were just like, wow. He does a lot with what he has offensively, man. Like, again, Charlie Jones was just a – Charlie Jones had like 21 rece- career receptions for Iowa, and then what he had yeah. 10 last night or something like that, yeah. 11. Like, it was yeah. crazy. I mean, he does a lot with having pretty average talent, if we're being completely honest. So, the, the I mean, concern... outside of Rondell Moore, who has he really had that's like, oh, right. man, that guy's great. I mean, David, even David Bell. Bell was, yeah. yeah, but David Bell wasn't like a crazy talent. Like, I think he really... – see, I, I disagree with you on that. I like David Bell a lot. I think his production was inflated by the system, but David Bell could get open. He knows how to run routes. He's just that savvy kid that just knows how to play. He's not going to blow you away with numbers. He just knows how to play. And and the fact is, is even in games where he's been matched up against better players, he still finds ways to make some plays. That catch he had against Notre Dame last year when Cam Hart was draped all over him, it was a phenomenal catch, that 30-yard route up the seam. So, but he's not to your point, right? He's not the crazy, insanely physically gifted player that right. Rondell Moore is, that Ohio State has, and even the Notre Dame has. David Bell just has great receiver talent. He doesn't have great athletic talent, and that's where I would somewhat kind of push. I, back I think on. for college, for college, right, right. I think I think I, I hope that I hope that Penn State gets better quarterback play just in general because i'll say yeah. this they had they had some guys man parker washington's a pretty talented kid nick yeah. singleton looked good in spurts i know he didn't do a ton well, last night but he looked good in spurts and the tight ends are good i mean theo johnson is a really talented tight end that didn't even play, play last night yeah. yeah he didn't even play 44 is okay but like Brent Strange is a good player well, yeah. and like keandre lambert smith had that bad drop on the over route but then comes back and makes a couple big plays for him later you know, so it's like they've got some dude. They, you're right, right? They've got some athletes, but man, they just they just and and God, their road uniforms are so ugly. It's like just <laughs> literally plain white with a blue stripe. It's just so ugly. Anyway, 
Super chat from David Carpenter. Say, David says, great job. You too, as always. Thank you, David. What position group do you think will be the most surprising tomorrow? My prediction is Notre Dame 34, Ohio State 27, plus one turnover for, to Notre Dame, TB 12, Tyler Bucker, 300 yards passing and 90 yards rushing. Those are some good numbers now. Yes. I, I will answer this, Ryan. I'm curious if you have the same thing. I think mm-hmm. there's one position group on each side of the ball that is going to surprise people if Notre Dame wins. If Notre Dame wins – Here's the two groups that the college football world is going to be talking about Sunday that they're not talking about now. The Notre Dame running backs and the Notre Dame secondary. Those are the two groups that people are going to make. What, those guys, look, Ohio State's going to get theirs, but if they if they make some plays, you're going to be like, you know, this, this secondary is better than we thought, and those running backs are dudes, and they got a bunch of them. I think that's going to be the two groups. If Notre Dame wins – that's the two groups that people are going to be talking about. And But I'll say this. If what he says is true, right, and Tyler goes for 390, that's all anyone's going to be talking about on Sunday if Notre Dame wins this game, just from a national standpoint, a national media standpoint, because that's just what they do, right? They talk quarterbacks. If yeah. they win yeah. this game and Tyler goes for 390, the hype will begin immediately. And, and I mean, honestly, my first impulse was quarterback too. I mean, because I think from a national perspective, like Brian, I don't know if you saw, like I, I watched uh, Tyler Buckner's interview the other day on mm-hmm. YouTube and you should have seen this comment section, man. Everyone's just like, wow, he sounds like a mentally soft kid and, and Ohio State's going to kill him. And all of a sudden I'm like, are you guys serious, man? Like, it's, No, they're not. They're insane. There's like, there's like this perception that Tyler Buckner's not ready and he's not good and whatever. So like, yeah, it's one of those where you're, you're reading into what you already think. Right. You're like, whatever. People are strange. Yeah. It was so annoying. So, yeah, yeah I'm going to say Tyler Buckner's the guy, though, and then I was, I'm was i there with you on the secondary. If the secondary plays well, I think that'll be a big surprise to a yeah, lot if, of people. If Notre Dame does win, their secondary is going to have to play somewhat well. I don't see them winning 45 to 48 to 45. I just don't see that. Uh, 82 Slice with a, with a super sticker. Thank you. Also gave us a super chat and asked a question. Thank you very much, 82 Slice. Appreciate you. ND is at least as good as last year's Oregon and Michigan squads, both of which beat Ohio State. I do not understand why Notre Dame isn't given much more chance by the public to win this thing, given that fact. I, I agree, but I think that that it's not so much that people are doubting on Notre Dame because of anything Ohio State has done. It's people are doubting on Notre Dame because of what Notre Dame has done. Like, I, mm-hmm. like I understand where you're coming from, and I tend to agree with you when I just look at this matchup as just that. Like, if I think if people have the uh, ability to just isolate this matchup. And look at Ohio State objectively. And what do we know objectively about Ohio State? Lost to Oregon in a game they never like led. I don't think they led at any point in time in that game. I don't. I, I don't believe so I they so. they lost to Michigan in a the game they led early, and then Michigan quickly took control. I think Ohio State scored first that game. I could I could be wrong. I was watching it again the other day, but like Ohio State was clearly not the better team on the field that day. They barely beat a depleted Utah team. They made that Utah offense look like 2008 Oklahoma, and they're not. They bear, they struggled to beat Penn State, who was 7-6 and six last year. They struggled to beat a 3-9 and nine Nebraska team. They were losing to Minnesota until Muhammad Ibrahim got hurt. That's just a mm-hmm. fact, okay? Couldn't, he had 162 yards rushing. Didn't he get hurt like late third, early fourth? Something like that. They had 162 yards rushing with Mike Sanford Jr. calling plays, right? They had one really impressive victory last year, and that was against Michigan State. And what do we always say? Football is a game of matchups. Who, Ryan, trivia question that I know you know the answer to. 
What <laughs> team let what what team had the worst pass defense in college football last year? Michigan State. Michigan State. Their yeah. pass defense last year was freaking terrible. And the and, and that's I mean you can hyper it was terrible. I mean this is a team that gave up 500 and 449 yards to Ohio State and six touchdowns and that was not their worst or second worst pass performance of the season. They gave up 536 yards to Purdue. They gave up 488 yards and a 70.8% completion rate to uh the Zappy kid at West Western Kentucky. They yep. gave up 406 passing yards to Michigan. Michigan threw for 406 passing yards against Michigan State. Guys, ne- Ohio- Michigan's next highest game was 352 against Maryland. Those are the only two games they went for over 300. Michigan won a football game last year, Ryan, by three touchdowns in which they passed for 44 yards. That was against Washington. <laughs> and they went for over four Wait. bills against Michigan State. Wait, wait, say that one part again again. Yes. How many yards do they have against Washington? Michigan last year, pass offense against Washington. They went 7 of 15 for 44 yards in that game. Wow. I do not yep. remember that game. The only thing I remember for that yep. game is um, Jackson Kirkland getting abused by both Ajabo and Hutchinson in that game. That's the only thing I remember. Yep. But yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. But Michigan r- rushed for 343 yards that game. That'll do. Yeah, that'll that'll play, especially against a team <laughs> with no offense like Washington. Yet that team threw for over four bills against Michigan State. So that's a terrible matchup for Michigan State. The rest of the games they played, this was not a team that dominated people. They dominated bad teams. So what people are telling me is that Notre Dame is more Maryland and Indiana than they are Nebraska, Penn State, or Minnesota. That's what you're telling me. And I just don't believe that to be true. But why do people think that? Not because of anything Ohio State has done, but because that's exactly who Notre Dame has been in games like this more often than not. And if you think about the two Georgia games, those Georgia teams were not exactly offensive juggernauts. You know, and Notre Dame did play them tough. But more often than not, it's been Arizona State 2014, USC 2014, that which kind of cancels out Ohio Florida State 2014. It's been Michigan 2019. It's been Miami 2017. It's been Stanford in 2017. It's been Clemson in the ACC title game. It's been BAM in the postseason. It's been Clemson in the Cotton Bowl. That's more often than not who Notre Dame's been. And that's why people don't have faith in them. And so until Notre Dame proves that they are not that team anymore, that's what people are going to continue to believe about Notre Dame. And honestly, that's fair, in my opinion. You know, like, I'd like to wish that people could be more objective in their analysis, Ryan, but we can't also ignore history. And just yeah. act like those things haven't mat- don't matter. They have to prove if you don't want again. Hey Notre Dame, if you don't want people to keep disrespecting you this way, then earn, earn, earn their respect. Because I think respect is earned, but I also think disrespect is earned at times. And Notre Dame has earned that disrespect based on how they've played in these games. And we are hoping and thinking and projecting and predicting that it'll change. Mm-hmm. Brad Center says Dempsey's Food and Spirits is the Columbus Irish backer bar and hosting a parking lot party with Rudy on the big screen for tomorrow game party all day. So keep that in mind, Notre Dame fans. That actually sounds a lot of fun. And thank sounds you for the dope. super chat, Brad. Absolutely. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, Chief Brody says uh, with a super chat, thank you. Ryan won't watch Maverick, but will he at least watch Rudy tonight? I am. 
Uh, I, I will. So I was actually planning on watching Maverick tonight. Um, I, I didn't want to, but you know, let anybody into that, but I, w- I was planning on doing that tonight. I will not be watching Rudy tonight because Rudy is a very overrated movie. That's okay, We're going to move on from that. So day. <laughs> fire Ryan. All right, everyone, Ryan, 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 I'm taking applications for a new director of recruiting. Uh, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. Potatoes O'Brien uh, with a super chat. Thank you, buddy. People would be surprised by our run game and our passing game to complement it. Estimate is going to roll. Sure hope so. I'm so excited to be there for the game. Flying from Seattle. Got a few Irish fans on here. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious how many Notre Dame fans are going to be there because there's going to be a lot of Notre Dame fans just in town for the game, like not even going, hoping to get tickets but not going. You know, I had a buddy who just paid a couple grand for tickets just last minute. So I'm really curious to see how many Notre Dame fans are going to be at this game. Really yeah. curious. It's gonna be interesting. Really it's curious. Not, it's not. It's not a far drive, man. It's only no, like four hours, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, depending on where you're from, my well, buddy's sure. coming from Pittsburgh, and you know, Potatoes is flying in from Seattle, from Washington. So, That's uh, awesome. yeah, I, I, I hope, I hope that there's a lot of Notre Dame fans at this game. I really do. I really do hope that. So, um, let's see if we we got some more questions here ryan let's get to some more here uh dexter domer pumped for the game not sure i can watch the whole show so wanted to toss out a question how does this team look feel going into the first game versus other years you have covered honestly dexter it's hard to know we just haven't seen a lot of them you know we've had access to two full practices and in those practices notre dame wasn't wearing pads they were just wearing helmets and jerseys and shorts so it's really hard to know i just know who my what my sources tell me and, you know, my sources last year were, were consistent. I mean, what, what were we talking about last year, right? Are the offensive line's getting killed every day, the defensive line. I mean, we talked about that all the time. Defensive line is destroying the offensive line. The receivers are having a hard time getting off press. You know, those things were all things we knew in fall camp. And, you know, Jack Cohn is accurate and on and all this other kind of stuff. What you didn't know was just how bad they'd be in pass pro. Just because, you know, in team, you, you, don't, you don't do as much team, and it's hard to kind of really tell um, – when you're, you know, you can't hit the quarterback. So yeah, that's, you know, but, but I'm hearing good things, but again, it's, it's show me time, right? It's, it's show me time. That's going to be, that's going to be the key. Dexter Domer also said intensity, conditioning, talent, attitude. This seems to have an edge to them right now. Would you take them over some of the better indie teams since 88? Would you place them? Where would you place them? I'd say five to 10 is, are we talking about like this current team projecting this current team? Cause if we are, so. I mean, it's hard for me. I have no idea. I need to see him play games first. Here's what I will say. I think this top to bottom has a chance to be one of the two best teams that Notre Dame has had in the last 20 years, top to bottom, because that goes back to 2002, Mm -hmm. right? I think what we don't know, see what some of these other teams have had. So like this team top to bottom, I think is more talented than 2012 team. Top to bottom. This team, top to bottom, is more talented than the 05 team. The difference with those 05 and the 12 teams, Ryan, is they had some stars at the top that could elevate others around them. Mm-hmm. Brady Quinn in 05, and then obviously like Samarja uh, in 2012, it was Manti, it was Zach Martin and Tyler Eifert on the other side of the ball. You know, as, as I've said, that 2012 Notre Dame team could take their top five and go against anybody else's top five. You're talking about Zach Martin, Tyler Eifert, Stephon Tuitt. Uh, who else do you want to choose? Is it Lewis Nix? I mean, who were who the guys you want to look at that were big-time players? The problem was six through 20 is where they weren't as strong. 
to me, what I don't know about this team, Ryan, is will they have that level of top five? We think Foskey's there. We think Joseph is there. But outside of those two and Mayer, right, those three we know. But what's the drop-off after that? Does Cam Hart become a star? Does one of the other offensive guys become a star? I think that's the big question mark. But just Mm -hmm. God-given athleticism and God-given talent at most spots, I think this has a chance to be Notre Dame's most talented team in 20 years. However, one of the teams I felt was one of the more talented teams in Notre Dame was the 2011 team was incredibly talented. They had like five first-round draft picks on that team. I mean, you had Michael Floyd on that team. You had Harrison Smith on that team. They went what? Eight and f- you had Darius Fleming on that team. You had Jonas Gray on that team. And what did that team do? They went eight and five. You know, the 2014 was insanely talented. Team was insanely talented. It was everybody from the 2015 team, except you had Everett Golson at quarterback. You know what I mean? But what happened? They they weren't a very good football team for the whole year. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they had they didn't have depth. And so to me, just because you're talented doesn't mean you're going to be good. And that's what we don't know about this Notre Dame team. I mean, we're projecting this win based off what? Watching old film, what we hear in the camp. We haven't seen them play any games, Ryan. And so to me, it it would be incredibly uh, irresponsible for Mm -hmm. me to start comparing this team to past teams. So I'm going to take simply from a talent standpoint, it has a chance to be the most talented team of the last – one of the most talented teams – 2015 is still the number one most talented team. And and I don't know if this team is going to be better than that team talent-wise. I just – I don't see it. That's However, team was, team was skill. That insane. Was team. Yeah. But but it, I think it has a chance with the others. But talent doesn't equal being, – uh, being a talented team doesn't mean you're going to be a good team. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the thing that's the unknown right now, Ryan. Yeah. And, I mean, it's – Brian, again, I mean, uh, a lot of the talent's a little bit unproven to your to your point too, right? Like you said, you you know Foskey's there, you know Michael Mayer's there, you you that Brandon Joseph who you would put in like that top five players, but the drop off is what makes you a little nervous, you know. And it's it's depending a lot on sophomores. Like there's a lot of sophomores, especially offensively, that you're like you in order for them to be a really really good football team, you need that class to especially step up. I right. think honestly, if we were just kind of coupling groups together because there was a question of like what group is the one that like everyone's talking about the next day or the most important team uh position or whatever how about this for one how how what would the national perspective uh, perception of that sophomore class be if notre dame wins that game if we're being i mean could right. do you imagine if tyler buckner lorenzo styles audra right. gastame logan Diggs, the sophomore offensive tackles like if all those guys play well and Notre Dame's able to win, it's like, wow, Notre Dame's got some young guns in the sophomore class, man. Like, I would say that what you just said needs to happen if they're going to win. Yes. And there's too many of those kids in the lineup for them to win and they not play well. I mean, that that's the thing, and that's your point. I mean, your quarterback, your left tackle, your right tackle, two of your top three running backs, and your top, arguably your top receiver are all sophomores, right? Yep. Part of that sophomore class. So, yes, you can't win if they don't. So they are a bit unknown. They don't have the lineage that – I mean, Lorenzo Styles, his dad was a known guy, but he's not Marvin Harrison, right? And he doesn't come from a program that's necessarily produced the kind of production that Ohio State has produced. So you are getting the hype about those guys that you're not getting about the Notre Dame players. That's just the reality of it. But, you know, the, the, I think that could change a little bit here in the offseason right? or in the season if they're able to play well because if you think about it, that's where that's where the talent is, right? Yeah. I mean, that's where the talent is, and that's why 
you know, I was happy to see, I was happy to see Bruce Feldman put Lorenzo Styles in this freaks list mm-hmm. because, you know, he sees what we see or he is hearing what we see, which is this kid's really explosive. Yes. And the other thing that I found fascinating is they were asking Chris Tyree the other day who the fastest players on the team were. And he said it was like him, Lindsey Styles, which we expect. And then he mm-hmm. said Tobias Merriweather. Wow. So I was like, hmm, <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, I think there's talent there. It's just fairly there's an expectation that Ohio State's talent will step up and do well. Why? Because that's what they've done. You lose J.K. Dobbins and you go to the playoff the next year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you lose Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud is you know even more productive in, in, in certain ways, at least as a passer. That's what you do. Notre Dame has not shown that they can do that the same way that those other teams can. So I got to see him play first before I'm going to be be able to comfortably put him in a, in a situation like that. But I do like the question. And I, yeah. I'll tell you what, let's address this at the end of the year, Dexter Domer. Come back to us at the end of the year and see where they are, and then we can have a more fun conversation. Michael S. says, you're right about Ohio State 2021, but they have they now have a new proven D.C. in assistance. How much does that change your perspective? Um, we already knew that we knew that they had a new offensive court defensive coordinator and assistance. And we discussed that. So I don't really know what else we can say. It doesn't change my perspective. It doesn't change my perspective of all at all of what we said about the team today or yesterday or the day before the day before that we're already taking those things into context, Michael. So I'll say this. I mean, we've been talking about that for a few months. It's not even just like this week. If they didn't make those changes, I wouldn't have any. I think there'd be a lot of people predicting Notre Dame to win this game if they didn't make those changes. I think there'd be Ohio State fans predicting Notre Dame to win this game if they didn't make those changes. If they would have left Matt Barnes and Kerry Coombs in charge of that defense, going again, which is exactly what Brian what Brian Kelly did with Brian Van Gorder. I mean, think about it. Bringing them back for a third year—that's how asinine what Brian Kelly did was. Because how long was Kerry Coombs was running that defense for two years? Correct, if I remember correctly. Let me let me just look this Sounds up. Sounds right. Quick. He, start, he started in 2020 and, and and then started last year, right? So, yes, 20 and 2021, he was the D coordinator. Ryan Day removed him in the second year, even though they were winning games, right? That This thing, and that's similar to what 15 was, Ryan. They were still winning mm-hmm. games, and and Ryan Day made that move. And so in, 20, in 2015, the equivalent of he made that move. If he mm-hmm. didn't make that move, I think there'd be Ohio State fans. I, Ohio State fans are in the chat. If Ryan Day doesn't make coaching changes this offseason, which is what Brian Kelly did not do, he did not make the changes until it was too late. Would you? How many of you guys would be predicting Notre Dame to win this game, or at least be thinking it was going to be more competitive than you think that it is? I bet you a lot of them would because they know how badly they were coached. That's the only reason that we think this is going to be a game, Michael, is because because of that. I think if Notre Dame. Because as you said, I do think Notre Dame is better than Michigan last year. I do think that they're better than Oregon last year, talent-wise. And those teams took it to Ohio State. So yes, if they didn't make if they didn't make changes, this I don't think would be a competitive game. But Ryan Day did make those changes, which is why I think he him. is showing himself to be a, a I think is why I would take if you had to say who would you rather have as your head coach, him or Lincoln Riley, I'm taking Ryan Day. Because I think Ryan Day understands you've got to be good on both sides of the ball. You can't just score 45 a game. you got to score 45 and stop people from scoring. 
I think he he understands that. And that's why I, I said I have a lot more respect for him as a coach than I do Lincoln Riley at this point in time. Patrick Tolan with Super Chat. Thank you, Patrick. Not heading out to the game, but my in-laws are taking my kids for the night, and I'll be uh, lakeside by the TV with the best former leprechaun in 20 years. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. That'd be a fun place to watch a game. That really would be. Just kind of chilling. Got the got the TV out by the lake. That'd be And the wife took the kids. Uh, that'd be a lot of fun, too. We got Quinn Kibler with a question. Mentioned this last night, but interested in B. Ryan's take. Is it wrong for me to say we should cheer for Ohio State for the rest of the year and they should do the same for us regardless of outcome? Well, I think if if Ohio State wins, they don't doesn't matter what Notre Dame does because they're now in control of their own destiny. They went out and like the winner of this game is completely in control of their own destiny. It doesn't matter yeah. what the other team does. If you're undefeated, you're in. I mean, it's as simple as that. I, I do think if you're smart and you know that, hey, look, you know, it's hard to run the table. I mean, mm-hmm. Ohio State's lost. If I would have told you before the 2018 season, Ohio State's going to go on the road getting destroyed by Purdue, you'd be like, dude, come on, seriously. Purdue, really? But that's exactly what happened. If I'd have told you, hey, Ryan, before the 2017 season, hey, listen, man, just to let you know, they're going to go on the road to Iowa and give up over 50 points. <laughs> like, Brian, dude, be serious. Like, this yeah, is funny. Stop talk. joking around, Stop man. messing around, podcast. dude. <laughs> but, but, like, so you, you never know what's going to happen, so you always right. want to give yourself a margin for error. So, yes, the winner of this game absolutely should be hoping that the team – on the other side and and but even more so the team that loses should root for the team that wins to run the table because now if Notre Dame loses to Ohio State then they're 11-0 at the end of the year they're like hey we lost Ohio State in a close game but look they're 13-0 in the number one team in the country number two team in the country and then vice versa if Ohio State loses to Notre Dame they need to hope that Notre Dame runs the table because here's mm-hmm. the thing if Notre Dame loses once What's Notre Dame going to have? It's even more true for Ohio State because they're at home. They would lose at home to a lower-ranked team. If they lose at home to a lower-ranked team and Notre Dame, let's say Notre Dame loses to BYU, you know, that's going to be a tough argument to say that a 12-1 and Ohio State against an 11-1 and Notre Dame that has a win over Clemson and a win over USC, something like that, you're better than. So if you're Ohio State, run the table – Hope that Notre Dame, because you're going to need Notre Dame to lose twice if you're going to get in over Notre Dame. But if you're sitting there at the end of the year, Notre Dame goes 12 and 0, and you're 12 and 1, yeah, you're both getting in. So I would think that the, the the loser should root for the winner to keep winning, as opposed to hoping that they lose twice, in case Brian, you sub your toe. Yeah, Brian, would you like to would you like to rebuttal to this Georgia fan real quick that says Notre Dame has to go undefeated? That's why you'll need to come to the SEC. Well, you know what, though? Here's the thing. I, I appreciate mm-hmm. that he was respectful in that. I mean, like, for, sure. for him to he's, say – He's been respectful in the chat. Yeah, for him all. to say yeah. come to the SEC tells me there's a level of respect he has for Notre Dame, and he wants Notre Dame in the SEC. So I appreciate that. I understand where you're coming from because that's a lot of what the media has said, legend, and they they say this a lot. Notre Dame's got to go undefeated. they got to go undefeated. And my rebuttal has simply been there's no evidence of that. Right. So here, here's the things that, that I look at and say why I think that is nonsense. Number one, ESPN tells us all the time, you got to win the conference championship. Well, in 2016, Penn State was the Big Ten champs. Beat Ohio State in a head to head. Who made the college football playoff that year from the Big Ten? It's Ohio State. So that what a head to head matters and win championship. 2017, who was the national champion in 2017, Ryan? Alabama, correct? Yep. Okay. 2017. Who was I, I the SEC? Who was the SEC champ in 2017? 
was not Alabama. It's Georgia. Yeah. They beat Auburn. Auburn I remember beat that game. Bama. I remember that game. But yeah. Bama got in. More evidence of it. Okay, well, they're the SEC. Okay, we just gave you a Big Ten and an SEC team, right? Here's more evidence. Notre Dame in 2015 or 2015 lost game – was it game two to Georgia? They beat Temple in the opener and then lost to Georgia in week two, correct? Because then Temple, uh, Georgia beat App State in the opener and then – because yes, it was because Jacob Fromm got hurt in the opener against App State and then started the next week against Notre Dame. So yes, it was week two for both teams. Notre Dame beat Temple in the opener and then lost to Georgia. So Notre Dame loses in the second game of the year and then wins out and smacked people. I mean, blew out BC the next week, blew out Michigan State the next week, blew out NC State, blew out USC, blew out North Carolina, just blew everybody out, climbed all the way up to number four in the poll. The reason Notre Dame fell out in 2015 is because they had an ugly win over Wake, an ugly win over a 3-9 BC team, and then lost to Stanford. 2017. Oh, I'm sorry. 2015 is the year they lost to George to Clemson later in the year. So that's even a different, a different one. 2017 is when they lost to Georgia in the second game of the year and blew people out. Excuse me. I said 2015. They climbed up to number four. That's 2015. And that was with 2015. They only beat one ranked team all year. That was Navy, and they still climbed up to number four. 2017 mm-hmm. is when they lost to Georgia in game two, blew people out. That team got all the way up to number three, legend, in the in the college football, not the AP or coaches, the college football playoff rankings had the number three, Ryan. And then the 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 rest of their schedule, the last three games, they beat Wake Forest 38-48-37, and that climbed them up to number three in the polls. They had on the road against a top 10 Miami, home against Navy, at Stanford, who was ranked in the top 25. You're telling me Notre Dame goes from three to out of the playoff if they have a road win over a top 10 Miami team and a road win over a ranked Stanford team at the end of the year because they're not in a conference? There's just no evidence of that. So to me, uh, Legend, I look at it like this. is we, we have two options, Ryan. We can listen to what the media says or we can look at what the committee has done. Right. And what the committee has done is they are going to look at, at the end of the day, they can have all the criteria they want. They're going to take the four best teams. That's what they're going to do. Now, have they always gotten the four best teams? I don't think so. No. But more often than not, I think that they have. And then the years that we would question, I, I didn't think Bama deserved to be in a 2017. They won it all. I didn't think Ohio State deserved to be in a 2014. I thought the way they did it was wrong. But guess what? Ohio State won it all. So even the years where you could kind of question who got in, those teams ended up winning. So you kind of hard to push back on who got it right. So in, for, in best teams, they look at it as overall resume. And so when you look at that, I think that's why I would say that there's just no evidence that Notre Dame needs to be in a conference other than just because ESPN said so. Well, why does ESPN say that? They need them to say that. So you can say that we need to join a conference to not get shut out, but Notre Dame has never gotten shut out when they had a playoff-worthy resume. And the comeback to that is, well, last year Notre Dame went 11-1 and and they didn't make it. They didn't deserve to make it last year. Y'all, if anything – the committee overraked Notre Dame last year because they were 11 and one with zero top 25 wins. And they still were fifth Ryan in the top mm-hmm. 25. So you can say all you want. Like Devin said the same thing. Look, y'all can believe the ESPN hype all you want. I'm an evidence guy. And the evidence has shown that when Notre Dame had a playoff worthy resume with a loss, the committee absolutely had no problem putting them in the top four. And, and some, then somebody says, well, the year they got in with a loss, they got in because they were in a conference. Well, that's not really a good argument either because 
the only reason they had a loss is because they were in a conference. Because if they weren't like if the ACC would have said, "Hey, Notre Dame, come in, we'll give you a regular season schedule, but because you're not a permanent member, you can't play in the conference championship game." Notre Dame would have been undefeated going into the playoff. Yep, their loss came in the conference championship game. So, to me, it's just it's it's not a it's not a good argument, and I get why people think that because ESPN says it constantly. But the committee has never done that. Committee has shown they don't give a crap what ESPN says about their polls. Remember the other Kirk Herb, she was trying to push for Georgia to be in with two losses. You know, he, about that. it's like, yeah. come on now. And the committee is like, no, we're not doing that. So it, just like the conference championship only matters when it actually gets the four best teams. I mean, they, they literally took a big, an Ohio state team that had a loss to the big 10 champ over the big 10 champ in 2016. Right. I mean, you know, it, it just it just doesn't matter. It really just doesn't matter. Got some more here, Ryan. Uh, Tommy Guns, B. Ryan Mailbag. What stadium will you be sitting in to cover Notre Dame's final game this season? Who's the opponent and what's the final score? Well, <laughs> let me Tommy, uh, you want. let me yeah. let me look. Go ahead, Ryan. Do you have an answer to that? I do not have an answer. Tommy just wants us to say that Notre Dame is going to win a national championship. That's what well, he's trying I to don't, do. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the final score is going to be of that final game. I don't know what their opponent yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, but I will say that I believe that the um, – where is it? I'm trying to find it here. Where is the game? Give me one second here, folks. Um, let's see here. The game – why doesn't this this NCA suck so bad? They have a site that says where the thing, but they don't have where the game is actually going to be played. So where is the 2022 national championship game going to be played? I think it's Los Angeles. Is what I think it is going to be, what? Ryan. In the Coliseum? In the Coliseum? Is it yes? So I think it's going to be in I would imagine no. I would imagine it would be in the where the Super Bowl is played. Yeah. So uh, the one with the Rams playing. So I believe it play. would be that. Yeah. I, I'd be shocked if the NCA, even as dumb as they are, had a game in the Coliseum. That place is a dump. It I know, dump. but I, I don't put anything past the NCAA. This so. is true. Well, they do like making money. Yeah. And they so, will definitely so make more money nice playing though. there. Yes, yes. So, so I believe really nice. uh, the last game that we'll cover is in Los Angeles. However, Ryan, that's gonna if, if that were to happen, that would put me in a conundrum. Because I have vowed to never step foot in law in California ever again, I would pro- I will not break my vow to cover a game at, at at the Coliseum or Stanford, but I would probably make an exception if they played in the Rose Bowl, like the real Rose Bowl, not the Rose Bowl yeah. in Atlanta or New Orleans or wherever they played two years ago, uh, or if the national title game was in L.A. I would have to, or San Francisco. I'd have to I'd have to make an exception for that. I would. Huh. huh. I would. Yeah. So you're going I'm back sorry. on your word. In that instance, word. yes. There's some other things I won't go back on my my uh, word on, even if it means I can't attend games. But honestly, that might be the reason why I couldn't attend the game anyway. So it may not even be my choice. And that sure. I would not go back on. That I will not change my mind just to cover the game in California. No way. But uh, if it's just about not going to California, that's more of a personal stance rather than a uh, and uh, my uh, the other stance that I've taken. So anyway, how, mu- move how, on how much money? How much money would I have to give you a year? To live off of, to go live in California. Is there a number or is there not no. a number? There's no because number. It's not about money. <laughs> it's not about money. Uh, like, well, that's a small part of it, but no, there's a million reasons why I wouldn't live in California. No disrespect to people that do, but I just, no, not happening. 
Not happening. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Eric Pruitt says, I haven't seen any dominant defensive play so far, mostly shootouts. Can we survive a shootout? I don't think so. I mean, they, can they? Okay, yes. We're just, we're just talking about Ohio State, right? Right. Can they? State, yeah. Can they? Sure. Will they? I don't. I wouldn't. Pre- if it's you were to tell unlikely. me that this is going to be a shootout, that means Notre Dame can't stop C.J. Stroud. And right now, the one thing I have more confidence in is if Notre Dame can't stop C.J. Stroud, I have a little bit more confidence that he's going to make the plays needed than a than Tyler Buckner. I think Tyler Buckner is going to lead Notre Dame to victory because I think the team is going to be better. But if Notre Dame can't stop, stop CJ Stroud and it gets into a shootout, I, I, I my confidence level goes down for this if, game. If, I do. if this game gets near the, like very close to the forties or into the forties, I don't think Notre Dame has much of a chance. I've been very yeah. like honest with that one. I don't, I don't want to get in a shootout with CJ Stroud and those wide receivers. I just don't want that to happen. Yeah. Like that's not a, that's not how Notre Dame wins this game. That's not, that's, that's not really how Notre Dame's going to win in general. If I'm being completely honest, but it's not against these kind game. of teams. Yeah, no, they're not going to win. He's wide open. Yeah, yeah, not not like the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the guys that could throw it around the yard. Like this is not this is not the game yeah. that you want that to happen. So at least no. as of what we know now. That would be my thing. At Think, least things could change, but it's, it's definitely sure. playing into Ohio State style more than what you want your style to be. 100%. Right. Right. So, good, good question. Uh, Josh Amundsen, how do you feel about the playoffs if the game is competitive, but we still fall short? I, look, uh, Josh, I've said this uh, a couple times now, and, and I'll repeat it because I know not everybody watches every show, definitely. But what I have said all along, Ryan, I've been consistent about this, is I think the loser of this game runs the table. I do. I think that, you know, look, I, I predicted 11 and one. I can't tell you who the loss is going to be. It could be tomorrow night. I, I just, I don't think this is a team. I don't think many teams are going to go undefeated this year. I, I really don't. I, I I think this is going to go look a lot more like the first five or six playoffs, Ryan, hmm. where early on, really not many teams at all were undefeated. Like you had, I think Clemson in, in 15 was undefeated, I think going in. Like Nick Saban, the 2020 team was his first undefeated champion since the 09 team. And, you know, in 2014, for example, uh, Florida State was undefeated. And then they went out and got blasted in in the college football playoff. But in 2014, Ohio State had a loss. And I'm trying to think who else. Alabama, I believe, had a loss that year too, correct? Or am am I wrong on that one? I believe Alabama. I believe Alabama also... Uh, law had a had a loss that year I believe I could be wrong but I believe that they did uh, let me just kind of go look at the different years I just want to try to remember but there was a lot of years so 14 Bama had a loss 
Oregon had a loss. Ohio State had a loss. Florida State was undefeated. In 15, Clemson had a loss. Alabama, or Clemson was undefeated. Alabama had a loss. Michigan State had a loss. Oklahoma State had a loss. 2016, you had Alabama was undefeated, but Clemson had a loss. That's You remember they lost to Pitt. Uh, Washington lost to USC, and then Ohio State had a loss. They lost to Penn State, as we mentioned earlier. In 2017, all four teams had a loss. Clemson had a loss. They lost to Syracuse. Oklahoma had a loss. Georgia had a loss. And they lost to Auburn, who they then beat in a rematch. And then Alabama lost, also lost to Auburn, I believe, in 2017. And then 2018 is when you started to see things change a little bit. And in 2018, you had three undefeated teams. The only team that had a loss was Oklahoma. Bama, Clemson, and Notre Dame were all undefeated. In 2019, three of the four teams were undefeated. And again, Oklahoma was the only team that got in with a loss. And then in 2020, you had two undefeated teams. And then Clemson had a loss to Notre Dame. And then Notre Dame had a loss to Clemson. So the two teams that had losses beat each other in the regular season. So, and then of course, last year uh, was, uh, was different as well. Last year kind of got back Ryan a little bit to the way it used to be, which is all three of the four teams had losses. Cincinnati was undefeated. The other three teams had losses. I think that's going to be more of like it was. I think there was a greater parity from like 17 to like 20. There was greater parity at the top in some of those leagues. I think the SEC, the last few years is, is like, I bang on Brian Kelly a lot, right? Brian Kelly's not a bad football coach. The head coach at LSU has been improved upon, right, from Edo, I believe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Florida, good hire, right? Mississippi State getting Mike Leach, good hire. Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, really good football coach. Josh Heupel's turned out to be a really good hire. Mark Stoops has done a great job at Kentucky. Uh, obviously, you've got Kirby there. South Carolina hiring Shane Beamer, I think, was a great hire. And if you can yeah. keep him there for a while, I mean – so I just think the quality of the SEC is getting better. I think the Big Ten has made similarly good hires in recent years. I mean, bringing Brett Brett Bielema to Illinois, they're going to be a good football team soon. There have been some really so. good hires in those two good leagues, which to me is going to make for more competitive leagues. And so I think we're going to get back to having more of the one-loss teams. So to that end, I think a Notre Dame team with one loss – is still very much in the thick of things as long as it's competitive, as you said. I think they beat Clemson. I think that they – because here's the thing. If they beat Clemson, they basically knock the ACC out. Yeah. A 12-1 Clemson is not getting in over an 11-1 team that beat them, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because what will be the big win that Clemson is hanging their hat on that year? South Carolina, Pitt, Wake Forest, Miami. You know, there won't be that where Notre Dame will have Clemson. So uh, – and I think the Pac-12 could get eliminated in week one. I do. I think if Utah and Oregon both lose this weekend, Ryan, Pac-12's done. USC is not going undefeated this year. It's not happening. Okay. I think, and, and I don't think the Pac-12 teams can go on the road, lose to an SEC team, and not even like the elite SEC teams, really. All Georgia is, but like Florida's not going to be, and still have a shot. So that's what I think. I don't know if you agree with that, Ryan, but I, I, I my opinion of Notre Dame making the playoff does not change if they lose this game competitively. It just no. means the margin for error has gotten. I mean, you're now in single elimination sure. for the next eleven games. That's basically what exactly. It comes down to. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't go ten and two and make it at, at that point, right? Like you have to. It would have to be the craziest the year of college football ever. Could you imagine? Game. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't put anything past these last couple of years, yeah. man. <laughs> but like, it would be like, interesting to see. Like, remember USC started off like one and three, and by the end of the year, they're like eighth. It's about as good as yes. you're going to get with two losses if you're Notre Dame. Because here's the thing: Notre Dame wouldn't. That's 
Notre Dame's chances to make the playoffs would be hurt by not being in the conference if there was some crazy scenario in which there was a bunch of two-loss teams. Mm-hmm. Because then they wouldn't have that final chance to have like a two-loss team could go win their conference championship. Because then they'd all be severely flawed. And then you th- that when you're picking between severely flawed teams, I think that's when championships matter a little bit more. But if one team yeah. is just clearly a top-four team and they have one loss – you're going to give that team a little bit more benefit of the doubt than, than you would some other people, in my opinion. That's just kind of how I, I see that playing out. No, I, I agree with that. I agree with that completely. Yeah. Yep. All right. We've got some more. Uh, Dexter Domer. ND beats them two out of ten times. Not sure this is one of those. Notre Dame has talent, but it is unproven. And that's the comment I was responding to earlier about, I just don't know how you can look at Notre Dame and say they're unproven and then not say the same thing about Ohio State. Ohio State right. has – I would argue more unproven players than Notre Dame. The difference, however, is Notre Dame's unprovenness is in the spotlight positions. Quarterback, Mm -hmm. you know, really is the only one. But Notre Dame, to me, has every bit as much proven commodities in the pass game as Ohio State does. Michael Mayer is every bit as proven as Jackson Smith and Jigba. Braden Lindsey and Lorenzo Styles are both more proven than anybody that, that Ohio State has. They may not be more talented, but they're more proven. Right. Cam Hart, with all due respect, is more proven than Denzel Burke, right? Brandon Joseph is more proven than anybody that Ohio State has in their secondary, including Ronnie Hickman, who's played a lot of football. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's the thing is, and Isaiah Foskey is more proven and Jason Adamiola. And I would even argue Riley Mills is closer to where Jack Sawyer and JTR is provenness than any of those guys are to, J- to Jason Adamiola, Howard Cross, or especially Isaiah Foskey. I mean, I, what what Riley Mills have last year? Three sacks, right? How yeah. many sacks did, did Jack Sawyer have last year? Uh, yeah, three. three. How many sacks yeah. did Zach Harrison have last year? Three. Yeah, right. That one. So yeah. if we're going to talk about provenness, Ohio State's got a lot to prove. the The only difference is is there's an assumption that Ohio State will do that. Why? Because that they have they've already proven it, mm-hmm. and they have the, a proven player at the position that matters most. And that's sure. where I do understand. This sentiment is because they are proven a quarterback. And that's very important. That's mm-hmm. very important. We're not dismissing that at all. At all. And 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 honestly, if CJ Stroud, what if you took him out and put in Kyle McCord? I've said this to you, Ryan. I think Kyle McCord's yeah. gonna be a star. Thanks, After so. CJ leaves, I love Kyle McCord as a quarterback. You know, my uh I, the the lady that was my um that was my co-op when I was doing mm-hmm. my student teaching is best friends with Kyle McCord's mom. Okay, just because he's a PA a kid, right? out there. Yeah, he's a I, Saint is he Saint Joe's pro- wait, where where do you go? I think he's eastern eastern part of the state, which would make he's sense. Definitely Philadelphia, Philadelphia. I, I think, think he's gonna be a star. Yeah. But let's just say hypothetically that the that the NFL got rid of their you have to be in college for three years rule. And let's assume that that happened and Michael Mayer still decided to come back to Notre Dame. And let's just say CJ wouldn't, I don't want to even say that he got hurt because I hate that scenario because I hate talking about players being hurt. But let's just say whatever reason CJ wasn't playing in this game. Mm-hmm. I think the tune would change because, yes, Kyle McCord's talented, but he'd be unproven. Right. Right. You know, let's just say something happened where CJ backed up some. Let's say they got a grad transfer last year and that guy started over CJ and now CJ's going in. You know, there'd be a lot of the Ohio State fans would have the same optimism about CJ Stroud as we have about Tyler Buckner. And that's where I think a lot of Ohio State fans are kind of missing the boat. Like, well, your guy's unproven. I'm like, yeah, but you guys were super hyped about how good CJ Stroud was going to be last year. And why? For good reason. Because the kid's really flipping talented. Well, so is Tyler Buckner. 
you know, so that's kind of where that's kind of where it comes from at this point in time. I, I I like McCord a lot, but if he has to take over for CJ this year, he's going to be unproven. Where CJ's proven, sure. and that's where there's a level of optimism. So I understand it. I understand. There is there was one time where CJ Stroud was unproven as well. So right. everyone has exactly. to go through that that justification period. Yeah. If you have talent, you have talent. You're you're going to yep. be good, right? Talent always rises to the top. If you have good coaching, and that's the biggest thing for me. YouTube uh, salty Virginia peanuts asked, "Will Al Golden's skill at second half adjustments, as with the Bengals last year, translate to Notre Dame?" I hope so. Let's hope. <laughs> right, <laughs> we but have it's no idea. A, he didn't call a, defense, yeah. but we'll see. We'll see. Now, we have heard a lot from people that he was very heavily involved in adjustments and third down defense, and I, I don't know if any of that's true because I didn't follow I don't follow the NFL and I definitely don't follow the Bengals. And so, uh, you know, to me, when I, when I look at it, Ryan, to me, adjustments are as much about a staff as they are about a coach. And, and I, I think I'm a big believer that a, the best teams at making adjustments are not a, the teams that have the, the best coordinator – their teams that have the best staff. Because in, in a game, every coach is looking at something different. Tommy Reese can't possibly go into halftime knowing exactly everything that's happening along the line, on the perimeter, at quarterback, and all of it. That's why you have to trust your coaches, right? You've got to, hey, Harry, what are they doing in there? What do we need to do? And he says, hey, here's what's going on. Hey, Dylan, why are we not picking up those Mike Fires? Okay, here's what they're showing us, and here's, okay, cool. What are we going to do about it? And here's, here's what we're going to do about it. But you need that staff to, even if you're the one making the adjustments, you need that input to be confident that this is what we're seeing. Same thing on defense. Hey, Mick, what are they do? Are they, you know, hey, look, here's something they're doing. Look, they're, they've reduced their splits based on what we were expecting to see. And when they're reducing those splits, they're getting to these concepts. And so we're having, a, we were planning on having our corners chase across on draw route, drag routes, right? Let's say hypothetically that's the case. We were going to chase instead of switch on some of the, the over stuff. We'll switch on the under stuff, but the deep over stuff we're not going to switch on. So what Ohio mm-hmm. State is doing is they're reducing our splits, which makes it harder for the corner to now get down on him pre-snap wise, and they're just outrunning us. Okay, cool. That's what we're seeing. Now, Al Gold may not be able to see that difference between an eight-yard split and a six-yard split from, from his role on the field. So you've got to trust Chris O'Leary and Mike Mickens to see that, communicate that, what they're saying, and then also what their players are telling them. And then as a staff, you say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to change it up this way. So adjustments can't just be about Al Golden and Tommy Reese. They've got to be about Tommy Reese, Harry Heastan, Dylan McCullough, Chancey Stuckey, Jared Parker. They've, on defense, it's got to be about Al Golden, Al Washington, Mike Mickens, and Chris O'Leary, and James Laronitis, and hopefully Marcus Freeman. Right? So, uh, But Al Golden, at the end of the day, has to be the one leading that ship. And so you hope that he can bring that to the table. and yep. But that's going to be a key because Ohio State is a pretty good team at making in-game adjustments more often than not. I think what hurt them last year is I don't think Ryan Day had confidence that he could go to his run game last year in big games. He did not look like a coach that had the same confidence in his offense last year running the ball as he did in 2019 with J.K. Dobbins. And Justin Fields as their quarterback. Let's be honest about that too. Uh, yep. It's not that he hasn't just run the ball in big games. It's that he didn't seem like he had the confidence to run the ball in those big games last year. And I think that's why he made the move for Justin Fry. So I don't think it was a, it, it was a similar to what we talked about with Tommy Reese, right, Ryan? It's like, well, why didn't Tommy Reese make second half adjustments? Because almost say, we tried and it worked. You can block anybody, right. right? We saw a little bit of that against Michigan last year for Ohio State. They, there was adjustments that you could see them trying to make. They didn't work yeah. because they couldn't block David Ajabo and Aiden Hutchison. Yeah, you, you have to have the the tools or right. the uh, 
you have to have the tools to to adjust, right? Like right. you can't just be like, oh yeah, just adjust. Um, well, we can't get off a of press and uh, we can't block right now. <laughs> what do you what, right. what do you want me to adjust to, right? Like I mean, right. you can only throw in a screen every once in a while. You can't make that the staple of your offense, right? You can't run a draw every play. Like there's just not. If you don't have the ability to adjust, then you can't adjust. It's very simple. Right. There you go. There you go. Kyle Wade, last couple here. Kyle Wade, question, if there's time, do you think you do FCS type of show every so often, or is that just too many additional teams? You know what might be fun, Ryan, because I know that your buddy mm-hmm. Joe, uh, yep. Joe DeLeon, is it DeLeon? Is that how you say it? DeLeon? DeLeon. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Does actually an FCS podcast, right? Yes, Correct? So Kyle, yep. um, do you know the name of it? So Kyle, if you're interested in FCS stuff, why don't you it's look a, up Jay DeLeon show? Joe DeLeon it's, show. It's uh, Believe in FCS Football Podcast. In yep. B-L-E-A-V, correct? B-L-E-A-V, yep. Okay. Uh, you know what might be fun is maybe you talk to Joe if there's ever any, like, epic FCS matchups, like, you know, North Dakota State plays somebody. Maybe we might throw those in there. That'd be a little bit – that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah, so we may look into that, Kyle. More often than not, we won't. We'll keep to the games that matter. But, like, if there's some big Fs, like, you know, if, like, let's just say JMU was playing North Dakota State in a regular season game, I'd talk about that. Right, J- JMU J- still. JMU just got. They just got are, elevated. They're not they're yet, are they? Now, I thought they were. This I thought year. they had one wrong. more year. I could be wrong. You may yeah. be right. I could be wrong. Yeah, but. I thought they had one more year left at FCS. They have given notice that they're going to leave, but I don't mm-hmm. think they've left yet. But I could. I could be wrong on that. Let me see. Let me I go check be, and see. I, I could be just as wrong as you are on that. I know yeah. them. Jacksonville State was another. I think that's elevating, if I remember correctly. But they haven't uh, yet, right? But they they yet, still yeah. haven't yet. So let me. Let me just look at James Madison and see if they are uh they are now in the Sun Belt. So wow. I just looked at it. Yeah, they are now in the Sun Belt. So they are they are in. They are in. And yes, we do know that they have approved the 12 team playoff. Uh, but mm-hmm. we just haven't been able to talk about it yet because we have to dive into what it looks like. We will do a show on that next week. For sure. We will do a show on that next week. Uh, once we kind of look at it and what does it mean for Notre Dame and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, and then lastly, Uncle Rico with a super chat. Thank you, Rico, very, very, very much. Uh, last year, Ohio State was the third youngest team in the country with 51% returning production. Their youngest team in 20 years. This year, they have 73% returning production. Coaching aside, youth was a major factor. Here's the thing, Uncle Rico. If you look at that production last year, Ohio State and Notre Dame were two of the youngest teams in the country. And mm-hmm. I'm actually going to to look at that uh, uh, real quick because um, – that was something that everybody talked about with Ohio State. Uh, let me see here. Returning production 2021. So uh, Notre Dame was also really, really low in that as well. So sure. if you look at last year, Ohio State ranked 124th with 50% of their production returning. Notre Dame ranked 123rd, right above them with 53%. So if you're going to use that argument, then you also have to use that argument for Notre Dame as well. Right. And and so to me, that's why I just don't think that you can look at it and say that, you know, this is this is going to be any different. And if you look at this season, so this year, Ohio State, where is Ohio State this year's team? So let me let me find Ohio State on this list here now, because, again, they have a lot coming back. Ohio State ranks 25th. This year at 23, I'm trying to find Notre Dame on this list, and I cannot find Notre Dame on this list. Give me a second. I hate like when there's like, yeah, Stanford's Stanford's fifth at 83rd percent. Sometimes people coming back. So now Notre Dame is 54th 
at 60, 66% coming back. So both of these teams clearly have a lot more production coming back than last year. I kind of find the 73% a little bit interesting when you consider how much they lost on the offensive side of the ball with the two receivers. But they're both teams that have a lot more production coming back this year than they had last year. I think you also have to count uh, look at the fact that some of Notre Dame's guys that were expected to be starters last year ended up getting hurt. If Maris Luafau plays last year like he should have, Notre Dame's production returning takes a big jump forward. So there's that that kind of aspect as well. If Chris Tyree doesn't spend the whole year banged up, again, same story. So I just – I if Blake Fisher doesn't get hurt in the opener, same story, right? So I just don't think that can be factored in as much as you think it does because well, you have to use, right. You, you have, they apply you have to, to both. Apply to both. Exactly. I mean, right. there's two sides to a coin, right? Like it's not right. a one-sided affair. It's not the like only, Notre Dame has all production, like right. no production returning or something. The only like difference that. is quarterback. I mean, that's the only difference. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no difference in returning production anywhere, but quarterback, in my opinion, no discernible difference. There's some places Notre Dame has more, some places Ohio State has a little bit more, but it's, it's the same. The big difference is quarterback. Sure. And that's, that's the, that's the difference. It matters. So, it matters, yeah. obviously. But, yep. I, again, you just can't assume yep. that Notre Dame is going to be the same team like we can't assume that Ohio right. State is going to be the same team. And that's what makes that, – That's good or so bad. <laughs> right, yeah. right. So that's going to do it for our prediction show. We will be back tomorrow, 10 a.m. Uh, Vince and I will have our college football IB countdown to kickoff show. We will preview the Notre Dame-Ohio State matchup a little bit in more detail in the first half of the show. Then we will preview the sort of the big games the upcoming weekend. We'll get more Vince's take on those things, obviously. Look, we've had a ton of Ohio State fans join our channel. Some of them, we had they had to go. Some of them have been awesome, and we appreciate you guys very, very much for being in our chat and being respectful. Uh, hopefully you guys stick around as long as you continue to be respectful after the game, win or lose. Uh, you know, I would encourage you maybe not jump in the chat right afterwards if you want to keep it a civil relationship in either direction. Uh, but we would love to have you guys on the show again moving forward as we continue to do this because we're going to always bring you – uh, our honest analysis, of course, about things. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, if you could keep Sean Styers in your prayers, obviously uh, we think Sean's going to be all right. Uh, but you just anytime you're talking about dealing with heart stuff and things like that, uh, it can get a little bit get a little bit scary. So uh, this is going to be a, I, I think, a fun game, Ryan. And then now we're going to have to sit and talk about what the matchup's going to be like next year. But I have a feeling, and I could be wrong. I have a feeling that the next time after tomorrow, that the next time Ohio State and Notre Dame play will not be next year in Notre Dame Stadium. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. So anyway, appreciate y'all so, so much. Game day is almost here, everybody. It's been a long summer. We're excited. Ryan's first official season with with, uh, Irish Breakdown. Very excited about that. The growth we've had in the last year has been so amazing. want to thank you for that. I uh, want to thank Marcus Freeman for that. I want to thank Brian Kelly for that. <laughs> We've had a lot of different reasons, uh, but we really appreciate y'all very, 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 very much and uh, and look forward to more. So again, 10 a.m. tomorrow, post-game show after the game. We ended up getting a hotel right by the stadium, so we'll be able to get over there pretty quickly. We'll have our post-game show. Then Vince and I will get up Sunday morning, drive home, break down the film, and then 7 o'clock on Sunday night, we will have a uh, our upon further review, and then Monday we'll be back to our normal routine. So Ryan and Sean Davis will have their Monday recruiting show and we'll be back to Ivy Nation uh, sports talk on Monday night. If things continue to go how we think, it'll be Vince on the show on Monday night uh, and we'll hopefully get Sean back here as soon as possible. So appreciate y'all keeping him in your prayers and uh, we'll continue to do so. If you're going to the game on Saturday, as I said before, travel safe, 
be smart. Don't allow yourself to get drawn into something that you're going to have a hard time coming back from. So I know that happens more and more nowadays. And as someone who lived in Ohio, just be smart, be careful, make this an enjoyable weekend, win or lose, because there's always tomorrow. And I do believe win or lose, Marcus Freeman is going to turn this program around. Will it be tomorrow? We'll find out. Will it maybe take a few more weeks, a few, a year or so? We'll find out. But that's just enjoy, enjoy that ride. And that's what I'm going to continue to do. So everybody have a great rest of your day. Have a great Friday. We'll be talking to you again tomorrow, uh, 10 a.m. on the IRB Countdown, the kickoff here on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.